Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah and I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, Jessica. Hello again. How are you? We're back on the floor. Still on the floor, I was going to say. Yep. Yep. COVID rules haven't changed. Do you think by next time we might be off the floor? that Boris might have made a new announcement and that we might be... Um, and I should again say, if people are only just listening to this one and they haven't listened to others, we're only on the floor because we've made it um, really COVID compliant and COVID safe. There's a screen between us and it was sort of the only way we could get it to stand up. So that's why we're on the floor yeah. because we're being very COVID compliant. Boris hasn't specified that in order <laughs> to be COVID safe, you should always sit on a floor. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I mean, this has been, I think, week three that we've been on the floor. Sarah's hoping that things will change, but I don't know. Don't know if that's going to happen. I'd just like a chair. <laughs> Me not too. Not much to ask, is it? Me too. But never mind. Okay, so this week's hero... Only one. Singular. Yes. Stop it, I don't believe you. Yeah, I'm not going for... I thought I, <laughs> I was tempted to build up, so I've done an organisation and the women that founded it. I've, I've done Patient Zero yeah. and the person that kind of righted that awful label he had. So I, I was tempted to find a nation of heroic people. <laughs> Just, yeah. Now, I'm glad we're going back down to what the actual premise of the podcast is. I'm glad we're coming back. Yes, we are. So, uh, yes, just one hero this week. But I think this is going to surprise you. Is it controversial? It's not. It's controversial for me. Right, Okay. Okay, because um, this week's hero is Lord Fowler. Ooh! Now, you know that I'm not a huge fan of the Conservatives. I'm quite happy to say that in yeah. the public domain. I, I, I mean, that goes for both of us. 
And you know that I'm not a fan of their handling of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. We've talked about this um, during It's a Sin podcast. And and we talk about this regularly between us, between Mm. the team. And Lord Fowler, obviously, was a huge part of um, kind of the 80s and because he was in government. But had it not been for him... I think the government's handling of that whole situation would probably have been a lot worse. Really? Yes. Now, you might argue it wasn't great anyway, um, and I'd agree. But I do think he deserves recognition because he really was up against it in terms of getting the government to even take HIV seriously. I mean, I don't know all the history here, so I'm really interested in what you're going to tell me today. But he... Even to this day, he certainly does try to advocate for the HIV community, doesn't he? I've seen he him really at does. events and things, so I yes. have to say, I'm like, yes, Lord Fowler. So yeah. I'm not totally horrified. I thought it was going to be something really controversial. No, no. <laughs> You're like, I'm doing no. Thatcher. And I'll no. be like, I'm leaving. <laughs> no. no. So, right, before I start properly, my job, I mean, it's been made so much easier this week. I feel I might have cheated a little bit. Because there are loads of articles, um, or there have been lots of articles recently, reflecting on Lord Fowler's time as Health Secretary uh, because of It's a Sin, because he was Health Secretary at the time, uh, and because of his call for an AIDS memorial um, as well. So I've used two modern-day articles as reference points. Uh, One was written in The Guardian in March by Chris Godfrey and the other was written by Andrew Woodcock, also in March, in The Independent. They've literally done all the work for me. I thank them. You're very lucky. My last podcast, I don't know if you heard how many references I had to cite. I list all my sources in an A4 page. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite lucky this week. So we're going back to the 80s. That'll be no surprise for you. Oh, do you think you'll ever do one that's not based heavily around the 80s? <laughs> You're like, if there is one, I don't want to know. No, exactly. That's how I rule people out. <laughs> okay, good to know. So we're in the early 80s and Lord Fowler was the health secretary from 1981 to 1987 in Margaret Thatcher's Conservative government. He was behind the public health campaign with the Tombstone adverts. We'll come back to those. Okay. Um, so HIV emerged in the UK in 1981, as we know, and there hadn't been too much information about it in the early 80s. But numbers of men and women affected were starting to creep up. In late 1985, Lord Fowler, or, well, he was just Norman Fowler back then, wrote to Margaret Thatcher to say there had been 275 people in the UK with AIDS that year, of which 144 had died. And he predicted a further 20,000 would be infected within the next three years. And he wrote to her because he wanted to highlight that we were heading for a public health emergency. His concerns were noted with scepticism, probably much like the early days of COVID, I would think. Yeah, But by 1985, Lord Fowler and his team, wasn't just him, they knew that HIV caused AIDS. They um, knew some of the ways that it was transmitted. They knew there wasn't a cure. And they decided that they needed to launch a nationwide public health drive to raise awareness. And they called it AIDS Don't Die of Ignorance. Okay, 
They, we'll talk about the title as well a little bit later. So they uh, produced a mail shot and they sent it out to 23 million homes to educate about how HIV was transmitted. And there were posters highlighting that HIV could kill anyone. Needle exchanges were created. They came about in that. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that um, injecting drug users didn't have to share needles. And two TV adverts were launched. The Tombstone and the Iceberg. Yeah. Both equally chilling. Now, at this point, I'm thinking that, bear in mind, HIV first came to the UK in 1981. Is it heroic that he waited four years before launching a campaign? And a campaign that, if I'm honest, relatively simple. TV ads, posters, leaflets. But that's where you need to know what he was up against. Because at the time, some government ministers objected against the needle exchanges because they felt it showed an acceptance of drug use. I'm going to start taking pictures of my face in these, because it's... Oh, my God, really? Yes, yes. So they weren't keen. Exactly. How is that encouraging it? I know. Some ministers believed that public health messages that mentioned gay sex would encourage people to experiment. You're joking. No, I'm deadly serious. Bloody hell. <laughs> Sorry, like, what? I mean, it, it, my mind is up. Like, mine was too, because I was like, no, surely nobody thinks like that. But as we carry on, you might be able to see why. It's bizarre that, that we also, like, not we, but back in the day, it was deemed to be unacceptable, even if you did want to experiment. Yes. How how odd that that's the stance. Absolutely, like, that it was so restrictive that um, you shouldn't ever consider doing anything outside what the social norm was at the time. And some ministers, and I think these are, are probably the worst of all, thought that nothing should be done. There was no need. It wasn't a community that needed to be helped. Seriously? Definitely. And there was also pressure outside the confines of Parliament. Um, now, it's not stated by whom, so I think we can probably guess, but there were concerns that any campaign should focus on morality, good behaviour and abstinence. Oh, <laughs> that's why this podcast's hard. <laughs> Bits like this where you're like, shudder. Yes, exactly. One chief rabbi at the time, this is all from the articles that um, I referenced earlier, said, and I quote, the campaign is telling people not what is right, but how to do wrong and get away with it. Imagine people are dying and they're more concerned about morality. Yes, exactly. You can, it gives you a kind of flavour for how things were at the time. And to people's views. Why do you love the 80s so much? We always do oh. the 80s and I always sit here and I swear I say, unbelievable. Because my version of the 80s didn't really focus on this. It was yeah. very much about the A-team and chips. <laughs> and... I feel like you're going to hate the 80s by the time we finish doing all these podcasts. Because I'm always horrified by what's happened in them. They didn't... Um, I mean, these people didn't really feature because I was quite young. <laughs> So I'm all about, you know... Rose-tinted glasses. The 80s were amazing. And now we're like, oh, they were awful. Apart from the culture of our country at the time, that wasn't so great, was it? Oh, gosh. I feel like you're all right. (laughs) Damn therapy for this. Okay, now at the time, Margaret Thatcher, you won't be surprised, she also had an opinion. 
and her opinions focused on the explicitness of the newspaper articles and their content, uh, newspaper adverts, sorry, and their content regarding the dangers of unprotected sex. So Lord Fowler recounts that she said, please don't use that section on risky sex because it tells people, young people, things that they don't know. What? Yes. So she didn't want people to know about unprotected sex because she thought young people um, didn't know about it anyway. That's so confusing. That's why I said what? Only because I feel like I don't really fully understand that sentence. Do you know what I mean? Because if I'm a young person and I, I'm probably going to know about sex, so how do I not know? Well, exactly. <laughs> it's the assumption that young people are naive and don't know um, anything about sex. You know, it's almost it's assuming young people just don't have sex. Yeah, until someone lets you know, right, so let me tell you <laughs> now, now you've got the knowledge, like bananas. Now he says she wasn't unsympathetic to the people affected by HIV, but she was unsympathetic to the campaign because it included sexual practices she didn't want to encourage. Now, I think that's a bit of a contradiction in terms. If you're not willing to encourage those practices, would you really feel empathy towards those who've already partaken in yeah. them? But basically... Just lip service, isn't it? Absolutely. She didn't want to encourage any sort of gay sex. I hope this is going to get better because I'm so mad right now. Oh! <laughs> well, let's see, shall we? <laughs> I'll be leaving by the end of it. <laughs> I'll have to finish this on my own. <laughs> Probably no listeners. <laughs> Everyone's just like, God, this is awful. Okay, now the evening before the big campaign launch... Uh, Margaret Thatcher visited Norman Fowler again because she was still unhappy with the campaign wording. She would have preferred a more traditional approach used uh, that was typically used for venereal diseases at the time. Do you remember when they used to call them venereal VD? Yeah. It used to be like a thing that everyone used to say at school. Oh, you've got VD. Oh. I know. Um, so she liked the idea of notices in public toilets and posters in GP surgeries. That's what she wanted to do. But he said no. He said a more modern campaign would be better. And the campaign went ahead. Shortly afterwards, a government subcommittee on AIDS was created so the government could respond more quickly to the growing HIV situation. So he stuck by what he believes. And you've subsequently got a committee focused on AIDS. So that's a good thing. Mm. That's a positive. The campaign headline. Now, you know I'm not a fan of it. I've never been a fan of it. But we should take into account Lord Fowler's viewpoint because he said he had absolutely no complaints about the heading, Don't Die of Ignorance, and believes the caption was absolutely correct because if you've got HIV, it was a death sentence. So he's quoted as saying, it's all very well saying it's a bit scary, but that was the reality. That is true, isn't it? Well, it is. And actually, when I was thinking about this, I mean, sometimes... The blunt approach works for some people. Mm. So as a complete aside, I'll, I'll illustrate that. I'll give an illustration of people's interpretation of how messages should be portrayed in their opinion. So as you know, my son is um, at school. He's studying World War II at the moment. They're looking at the Dig for Victory campaign. Now, he's only 11, as you know, and they're all asked to design their own Dig for Victory posters. So everyone's drawing fruit and veg in boxes and bags with spades, except for the little girl who sits next to him. She drew an empty box and wrote, dig for victory or die. 
I love her. Well, I feel in a former life, she may have developed Lord Fowler's HIV campaign. I... Yes. It's just very... It, it is. It's just like, I'm just... I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. This is it. <laughs> wow. Just, no, I love This her. is what's going to happen if you don't plant your veg in a World War II. You'll die. It's the same kind of approach. Um... And obviously that's how he is as well. So if you don't protect yourself, you will die. Yeah. And people remember it for a reason. I know it's scary and we felt that it, you know, looking back, it's really easy, I think, in present day. Like hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? To look back and go, oh, actually, maybe, you know, because it's had such a lasting effect on on the way people feel around HIV. But he couldn't have known that. And actually it was more of an emergency, wasn't it? Yes. Just pulling the ripcord and going, save yourselves, come on. Like... Wow. I know. The campaign worked. A Gallup poll in 1987 showed 98% of the public were aware of HIV. So that's pretty cool. And what? That's a massive number. Yeah. When you think about the campaigns that are, I mean, not that we've seen a national HIV campaign since then, but other campaigns, especially around other STIs that we've seen, and the numbers are nowhere near Mm. that high. So it did work. Um, And I mean, it has been criticised for the tone, uh, the messages of fear, the focus on gay people. But Lord Fowler says that wasn't its intention. He said, we were in an emergency situation. We were working very fast. In everything we said, we were saying gay and straight. We tried to make it as normal and accepted as we possibly could. So now I'm thinking, why does he even comment on gay and straight and normal and acceptable? What's mm. he talking about? That's when you have to look at section 28. Because that was the law enacted in 1988 that banned councils and schools from promoting homosexuality. It was repealed in 2003. But that's still too late, isn't it? Like, oh. I know, I know. Horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And although this AIDS campaign preceded that, because we're talking 1985-86 and the law wasn't until 1988, the basis of that law, I mean, it was very much the theme of the time. So the Conservatives based a lot of their campaigning on um, family values and they actually targeted Labour councils who were supportive of the LGBTQ plus communities. So there was a real lack of empathy for those affected by HIV and the gay community. And the media, this won't surprise you, such as the Mail on Sunday, calling it a gay plague. Uh, There was a former chief constable of Manchester Police. His name was James Anderton. And he was quoted at the time um, speaking about the gay population. And he's quoted as saying they were swirling around in a cesspit of their own making. Now, that is, I know, horrific. He's quoted in newspaper articles saying that. And he's a person... In high authority. So that's... I know I say it, and I'm going to say it again. It's unbelievable. Yes, that this was what was happening at the time. I can't imagine how just cut off and marginalised people must have felt. You know, just just to be gay, just to be yourself, how you are. And people have this to say. Like you're saying, the the police, who are people you should trust? And, you know, that's so we're told. You know... yeah, I have no words. It's not good for a podcast, is it? <laughs> it's over now. Yeah. James, what's his name? James. His name was James Anderton. James Anderton's ruined it. I'm going home. 
Now, Lord Fowler's views, they did not reflect the governments at that time. So he couldn't understand why judgments uh, would be made on a person's sexual orientation. And he found the views unfair, as we do. And thank goodness he did. Because if you think about it, if he'd held similar views to other members of parliament, or indeed other people in authority, then anyone at risk of contracting or being affected by HIV would have been shunned and left to die. So although I'm not a fan of the Conservatives, I do think him being such a strong person um, and going against the rest of what his party believed in. And that's not easy to be that one person, as we know, the, you know, and we've talked about, uh, actually, I have to say an awful lot of the people that we featured in an awful lot of our HIV hero podcast, the story's kind of similar, isn't it? It's the going against of what everyone else is saying. Actually, no, I, no, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to go and set up my own support groups and I'm going to, you know. Yeah, it's that kind of self-belief that you were right um, and deserving in some cases of kind of support or being listened to within the public domain. Yeah. Um, or in his case, you know, knowing that you're right and the rest of your political party is wrong. Oh, I think it's a really good shout. I do think he's an HIV hero. I really, really do. Oh, good. Well, there's more. Let me tell you what. Well, only to say what happened next. Okay. Because in 1987, the year after the campaign, um, he was removed from the post of health secretary by Margaret Thatcher because she told him that he mustn't be thought of as just the minister of AIDS. Oh, my gosh. If we ever do a podcast about... What's the opposite of a hero? Villain. HIV villains. My first one will be... Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, do you know what? I don't even want to give them the, the airtime. No. <laughs> don't even want them to know. I mean... Oh, dear. The Minister for AIDS. Yes. So she didn't want him to have that label. He went on to become Employment Secretary, and then he resigned in 1990 to spend more time with his family. Uh, but he remained an MP until 2001, and then he entered the House of Lords, where he became Lord Speaker in 2016. But he kept an interest in HIV. He chaired a parliamentary investigation into HIV in the UK. He's a patron of Terence Higgins Trust. Uh, and in is 19- he? Yes, he is. Yes, yes I know, Lord I didn't realise that. And in 2014, he published a book, AIDS Don't Die of Prejudice, and it's based on his travels to locations with a high incidence of AIDS around the world. So he's raising awareness. Yeah. And now, I mean, he's 83. He's stepped down as Lord Speaker. Um, and he's done that not to retire, but to devote more time to campaigning on HIV and the worldwide persecution of the LGBTQ plus community. And really, that's what makes him an HIV hero for me, because... You know, he has this persistence to ensure that HIV is kept on the public agenda, Mm. even after stepping down as the health secretary. Um, And I don't agree with the premise of the campaign in the 80s. But had he not been so determined to raise awareness, we probably wouldn't have had a campaign at all. I agree. I would actually, I, I think he's an HIV hero. For me, after hearing this, just on that first bit, before he even started doing later on HIV awareness and, you know, 
uh, being a patron for THT and writing a book and things. I think he already was because actually I just feel like it's a bit like when your mum shakes you and is like, I was worried about you, don't run away. I feel like that's what the campaign was. After listening to this, it's someone saying, I care, I need to shout this in your face so that yeah. you fully understand the danger here. And so, yeah, wow. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And if you think at the time he met with resistance from all quarters, you know, including his boss, the prime minister, the media, other public figures, and considering that kind of prejudice, there must have been a moment when he wondered how damaging that might be to his career. I mean, he didn't have any affiliation with the gay community. He had no reason to put his head above the parapet other than a complete belief that it was the right thing to do in his role as health secretary. I mean, we know his own political party, they're prejudiced against the LGBTQ plus community. You know, they're trying to introduce a law to state that homosexuality shouldn't be promoted. And it must have been far easier to think, do you know what, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to do my job as health secretary. We won't worry about those people. But thank goodness he did do something because he stuck to his guns. He ensured 98% of our population at the time knew about HIV. So you could argue, and I do argue, that the campaign increased fear and stigma towards the gay community. But it undoubtedly saved some lives as well. That's why he's my... I'm so glad you featured him. I am too, yes. I really, I, I think it's important. I think we need to talk about that more. I think it's easy just to go, oh, the campaigns are awful and scary. And that's true. But we need to know the background to that. What's the history there? And what did someone go through to try to look after all of us? Because, yeah, I yeah, I think what an absolute HIV hero. Oh, amazing job, Sarah. Oh, thank you very much. All your 80s-ness, smashing it out the park. Absolutely, yes. Are we still going to be in the 80s next week, or what are you thinking? Oh. Actually, do you know what? Surprise me. It's going to be the 80s, and it's not going to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll look forward to it then. <laughs> thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do, visit tvps.org.uk. And please like, subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.